And welcome to Battle of the Atom. This is your only weekly X-Men podcast where I, Zach Jenkins, and my co-host, Adam Reck, jump up on three issues, stories, arcs, what have you of X-Men, talk about them, and put them on our big master list where we're trying to decide the best and the worst X-Men stories of all time. Adam Reck, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, how you doing, Zach? You know what? I'm I'm doing uh I'm doing pretty good. All right, doing pretty good. I'm <laughs> I'm excited about what we got what we got on the uh, docket today. Yeah, this is a nice mix of, of interesting yeah. stuff from different eras and 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 different uh, lines. So looking forward yeah. to this. So yeah, let's let's dive let's dive right into the middle of this. Yeah, our first story is a Patreon supported story. This is coming to us from Zach Strong who shares the same name as me, which I feel very special. It's a great name, Zach. We have that connection. (laughs) But Zach requested that we cover Ultimate X-Men Volume 1, The Tomorrow People. Now, Adam, what's your familiarity with the Ultimate X-Men line? Hoobly. Um, I'm not super familiar with anything Ultimate other than Ultimate Spider-Man, so this was pretty new to me. Yeah. So for me, this came out in what year 2000. Mm-hmm. So I would have been like a nine-year-old kid, which you tell a nine-year-old kid, hey, here's a brand new start to X-Men. <laughs> you know that movie you just really liked? Here, you can read this. So I read probably the first, ah, probably the first five or six arcs of this thing in trades that like I would get from the library for my buddies. And I devoured those things, that and Ultimate Spider-Man. Those were those were the things that kept me interested in superhero comics before I started buying them monthly. Well, this is very readable, you know, and uh, I I felt the same way about Ultimate Spider-Man. I mean, is this beloved to you? Um, like, do you hold this if, in very high uh, standard? Like, I you don't have know if beloved is the right word for right. it. I think this is a very much a 2000 comic. Mm-hmm. This is the year 2000 in comics. And it's interesting. So the ultimate line for anyone who's been living under a rock was a reimagining of the Marvel Universe as a whole. Just, hey, we're going to restart on you know January 1st, 2000 and see what comics would be like. It, this particular run is written by Mark Millar with pencils by both Andy and Adam Kubert, arts, or inks by Art Theber, and colors by Richard Eisenhoff. Mm-hmm. So this is a this is an A plus team, <laughs> Millar yeah, and the Kubert brothers. That's yeah. good, regardless uh, of how bad the cover is, because the cover for issue one and the, the cover the for issue one is confusing. I mean, yeah. especially since Wolverine is not really a major player in the first issue. Um, yeah, no, it's a very odd choice. But you know, people like Wolverine, so he can he can he scratch sells. up uh, Times Wolver- Square a little Wolverine bit. Wolverine right? can uh, push some comic books. <laughs> But yeah. yeah, this is a reimagining of the X-Men. And there's some there's some weird stuff. The This is a Magneto wants to take over the world story. And the yes. X-Men have to stop them as their first mission. So this is actually my favorite take on the tyrant Magneto. Mm-hmm. Like, because they are unabashed that 
he is a villain in this. And I yeah. think that's a take you can have with Magneto. It's not one that you can always be successful in today's day and age when you have all the Claremont stuff and, frankly, all the Ian McKellen and Michael Fassbender being a very sympathetic Magneto. Yeah, and this works pretty well for Magneto here. I mean, he's just straight up, you know, almost Silver Age villain. Um, but then he's an updated Silver Age. Yes, villain, which yes. I there's there's definitely the you know early two thousands terrorist thing going on here. I mean, no, that's a thing. That's a that's a real thing. We didn't have the Russians like we had in the eighties, so we right. had to update. Like that. That's kind of you know he's definitely murderous. He's definitely not interested in, in cohabitation. He's interested in straight up murdering some humans, mm-hmm. which not to mention is what the humans are doing to the mutants like right on page three. I think we've got it, sentinels it, it opens with people. sentinels killing people. Yeah. Zapping people. So the, there's um, uh, a Malar esque level of violence right off the bat that uh, you might not have um, seen, you know, in the regular Marvel universe or, or been expecting. Yeah. It's, it's very interesting. There's some, there's some weird developments in here. But there's there's some interesting ones like uh, so the one they start off with the Wolverine Cyclops Jean Grey love triangle real hard where seventeen is she seventeen or is she explicitly eighteen because there's that seems like something this comic would do I haven't read it recently um, like I flipped through it but it's definitely implied that that it's like iffy right yeah. like Wolverine that... beds her real quick and it's Jean's uh... choice don't get me wrong. But there's some there's some statutory consent questions involved in this. And then also she finds out that Wolverine was an assassin sent to destroy the X-Men. And Jean does not put up with that. No, no. I mean, and, and to be clear, the, the Jean Grey here is interesting, you know, and yes. has agency and is, um, you know, kind of filling almost like normal Cyclops role here. I think she even utters the, you know, use my code name in the field uh, line that we usually ascribe to Cyclops right. um, at some point. But uh, just just to touch real quickly on what you were just talking about, I think the Logan gene, um, you know, immediately getting into bed, that is the weakest part of this arc. Um, it feels... Uh, it feels pushed. It, it feels creepy to a certain extent and unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I also, I'm coming at this through a lens of like having read some of Millar's other stuff, um, right. you know, like the Millar verse uh, kind of uh, stories where he likes that kind of thing. And right. that's not my cup of tea. I think it's a little weird for this X book, but um, that I think is the only real reservation that I have. Um, yeah. The the art here is, um, especially for the first four issues, we get Adam Kubert. Um, it switches over to Andy for the the last two. I prefer the Adam. Um, I, I know that sounded weird because that's my name. Um, but Andy um, brings a, a, a different kind of flavor to the um, the last two issues, which kind of makes sense with the, the escalated action that you see in those mm-hmm. last two. Um but I really like the first four issues with, with um, Adam doing pencils and then Art the Bear doing the inks. I mean, I, I remember Art the Bear is like, he was going to be the next Jim Lee. Everybody was so excited w- about him at Marvel. Um, and then he took over uh, after the Jim Lee run ends on, on X-Men Volume 2. So it's cool to see him back here. You know, it's right. cool to see him working on this book. Yeah, so two things. One, I've just I've never been able to tell the Kubert brothers apart. I'm sorry. Oh really? It's, it's an issue that goes like through 
all of the 90s stuff, all of their recent stuff. I know they are both very good. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to diminish any of that. I can't tell them apart. That's interesting. I, yeah. Because to me, it's like instantaneous. When I was reading the, the switchover issue, I was like, oh, wait, this is Andy now. You know, because I'm flashing back to those 90s X-Men uh, books that, you know, for right. me, a lot of it's in, in his eyebrows, you know, in the, in the way he does, uh, you know, crossed angry eyes. You, you can I can almost immediately see that it's him. Like I'm 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 literally just flipping through the trade pages in the trade from the front to the back. I I can't. I'm sorry. That makes me a bad comics fan. I understand. No, but. not necessarily. I mean, I I think there's a lot of continuity in both the. Um, it's not like you're getting very supremely different page layouts. Um, you know, they're they're both cadence to the way their storytelling is, and the and the coloring is very consistent as you go through this as well. Right. Right. I did. I wanted to say that because it is. But and then the other thing I wanted to mention, the one part of this as a story that doesn't that has never really worked for me, Wolverine goes from assassin to hero standing up for humans mm. real quick. Like that's a oh shoot, we're out of pages, but Wolverine has to be a good guy at the end of this arc. Right. You know, what does work here is that um okay, so basically Magnino's a terrorist. Uh, he's going to blow up Big Ben and he's going to sick the uh, mutant hunting sentinels against the humans so that all humans will die. Um, yes. He sends Wolverine off to kill Professor X. Then there's the weird thing with Gene and all of a sudden he's he's switched sides. Cyclops also kind of does like a, a faux switcheroozy. Um, but that's a fake. That's a goof. That's a fake, right? Um, and then the the underlying thing that kind of saves everything is that Quicksilver is is not happy about being Magneto's son, um, and and Shocker. you know is the last minute betrayal. So, you know, there's some things here that that work better than others. Mm-hmm. No, it's there's there's some good. This is a this is a this is a good update of the start of the X Men. It's not perfect. And I think later runs of Ultimate X-Men get a lot better than this. Like, there's some Ultimate X-Men stories, even in the original run, that I really, really like. Mm -hmm. And when we get to those, you know, they're going to do well on this list. But for this one, where are you you looking at them? This is kind of a tough one for me because I I liked it. Um, I don't necessarily think it's it's essential by any means, but... uh... You know, it's it's a well, good... it's alternate. It's an alternate universe. It's yeah. very essential for the hundred and forty some issues of <laughs> of what that is that ends up being right. But without having that context, I, I feel like it's harder for me to to kind of a, a appreciate the importance of it or, or sure. um, how much I liked it. I I think I liked it better than uh, Exiles um, when we when we looked at the beginning of Exiles, right? Um, I also think it is more substantial than Wolverine Snicked, which we covered well, has, in the last it episode. More, it has more dialogue in the you know first issue than Snick does in all five. Yeah, I don't think I liked it as much as Battle of the Atom. But that's, that's where that's where I'm kind of looking, and I'm I lean the other way. I think okay. Battle of the Atom has enough weakness. That's true. That this overcomes it. Like this, this has some questionable moments, mm-hmm. but they beyond the heel turn or the face turn for Wolverine, they don't diminish much. And even that, there's enough action and momentum going that, you know. Plus, it's Wolverine. It's like, oh, Wolverine's a good guy. Okay, I can buy that. Yeah, I, I've been conditioned to believe that for thirty plus years of comics reading. That's true. This is this is a more um, from start to finish coherent story than Battle of the Atom. 
always my art Adams love kind of gets involved here uh, in terms of bumping it above Mojo Mayhem. Oh, um, no, I, I think Mojo Mayhem's better. The X Babies are better than this. Okay. So you want to put it in at number 13? I do. I think number 13 is the best spot for Ultimate X-Men Volume 1, The Tomorrow People. A good showing yeah. for that book. Absolutely. The next book up is i guess the official title is x-force slash cable messiah war yeah this it's book war. it is a war <laughs> i mean it, it, it's x-force and cable yes but separately so yeah it was written by craig kyle chris yost and Dwayne swazerski i i those polish and that area names i have struggles with i think you did a a, a good job there Dwayne, who did all of the cable stuff from after Messiah War or mm-hmm. Messiah Complex, uh, the art on this is by uh, Mike Choi, uh, Sonia Obak, uh, Ariel Olivetti, and Clayton Crane. What do you think about this book? Because you had not read this before. No, you are established on this of having this weird gap between the Messiah Complex, the Messiah, the Messiah trilogy. Yeah. I guess is what yeah, that... we call it in America. And and if 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 people remember back to the, the Messiah complex episode, when we talked about that, I loved that. I thought that was so cool and, and worked so well, which many X-Men crossovers doesn't, uh, excuse me, don't, um, this is weird for me, uh, in a couple of ways. I, I want to go on the record to start with, I don't think this is bad. I, I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on here. Um, I had really high expectations for it because I didn't really know that this existed. Um, and I'm just going to go on a quick tangent here. Um, mm-hmm. Folks on Twitter, if you you know go to my, my Tumblr, you guys know that um, I, you know, I like to make art and I like to make comic pages. Um, so what I've been doing... You run Bish and Jubes, which is a very good webcomic. Well, th- thank you. Um, I try and make them when I can. And when I was you know, trying to think of what I wanted to do, uh, earlier this year for, for, you know, the pages I was going to make this year, the, the, the idea popped into my head to do, um, a play on age of apocalypse, which was age of strife. And here I am thinking, Oh my God, that's a smart, fun idea. And I had no (laughs) idea that there was in Canon an age of strife. Um, so it's a weird thing for me to read this, which is, um, a very gritty, dark uncanny x-force style story that also features i mean we didn't really get into this with messiah complex so much but um you just did on xavier files this week um the profile of bishop and your headline for that if i remember correctly was that he's the x-men's biggest fanboy and I feel yes. like that sentence was such a smart distillation of why I really like Bishop um, as a character. I think he's a really fun way of expressing um, not only the the fan aspect of, of X-Men readership, but also inclusion because he is a character of color. It is weird to me reading this story as an extension of what was... I feel like in Messiah Complex, Bishop has the not that it's ever like reasonable for a character to you know shove a gun in the face of a baby um, right <laughs> right it's normally a bad thing but that story really couched why he was doing that um with the future storyline um with the camps this story because we've gotten away from that is really just now bishop is a villain 
And it's almost like character assassination for me to see Bishop in this light for this whole story. That, that doesn't seem to be a lot of nuance and depth. It's just he's pretty much gone like straight up insane here. Now, so, Adam, let, let me ask before you get too deep into this. Yeah, please. Had, had you read the 11 issues of Cable before this, that that came before this in this crossover? I, I know what they're about. I don't think I've actually Daddy read Cable. all of them. It's Daddy Cable. Right. Yeah, it's Lone I, I, Wolf and Cub, and Bishop is kind of hunting them through the timelines and, and destroying the paths that right. they can take. I will say, I will say that while you're right, Bishop goes off the deep end pretty quick. Though those eleven issues between Messiah Complex and Messiah War add a lot of nuance to his character. Like, okay. it's not it's not as much of a snap. It's still pretty quick, but for for me. Like, I, I read this in order. I did a big X-Men. Like, here's all the main X-Men books. I'm just going to read them. Mm-hmm. I did that from, like, uh, pretty much uh, House of M through. Yeah. And so I, I didn't have that same visceral reaction that you did. So it's it's very interesting to see what happens when someone just, you know, picks up a standalone crossover versus reading it in a larger context. I think that's a... And that, but that's part of what a crossover needs to be. It needs to work as a standalone, not just with the context of you know ten issues of Cable plus that other Messiah Complex crossover plus you know fifteen issues of X Force before that. There needs to be you know, you need to find that balance. Continuity yeah, can't be overwhelming. Yeah, and I want to just go back and and just say, I mean, I still think this is good. Um, mm-hmm. It's an interesting story. I like the ideas um, that are presented here of this sort of like post-apocalyptic uh, wasteland with strife in charge. You know, we've got a little bit of a heist story here that we've got to get in. It's it's interesting uh, and, it, and it works. The, I think one of the things that's still a little bit odd about this, and I don't know how much this really comes up in the, in the couple of issues of Cable that precede this. Uh, I, I'm still kind of unclear here as to how old Hope is. Um, just because of both the characterization, like the writing of the character and the different artists and how they depict her. Artists are bad at drawing babies. Yeah. And kids. Yeah. I, I think she's supposed to be anywhere between eight and ten. I think that's about right because she's there's after this, you know, she gets separated from Cable. So there's a bit of a time gap before Cable finds her again. She survives by herself. Spoilers for the Cable series after this. <laughs> and then uh, they quickly do a few more issues and finally make it back home. And she's, what, 16? She's between 15 and 17, and that's pretty much where she's stuck in continuity now. Right. Yeah, and now they don't know what to do with her after Spurrier's run, which stinks because it's a really interesting end of that series. But all right, anyway, yes. a little tangent there. We need to focus on Messiah War, though. Yeah, um, we... what? I feel like I'm doing most of the talking here. What what what's your take on this? Do you, do you like this? Does this hold up for you? Again, I read I read all the X books of this era kind of in one big run. So I was reading Cable and X Force side by side, and I really liked them both mm-hmm. books. Messiah War feels a little inconsequential as a whole. Like of the three Messiah trilogy crossovers, this one's easily the weakest one. Okay, I'll I'll say that, like Second Coming, very very good. Messiah War, it's there. It keeps the story. It keeps hope in front of the mainline readers and gives the you know X Men into six one six like Wolverine and X twenty three Domino all that stuff. They it gives them a chance to say hope's still alive. Cable's doing it. We still have a chance. Right. Uh, so there's a lot of that that goes on. What I really like about this is the art. Mm-hmm. Now Mike Choi, alternating artist on uh, the Craig Kyle Chris Yost uh, X Force run. With Clayton Crane, 
they're both very, very good. I love Crane's style. Like, he has this weird, almost hyper-realistic, like, it looks really real until it doesn't, mm-hmm. until it, until he lets his painting and his long brush strokes really get the story told. Yeah, especially and in he the does fights. a lot. Oh, his fight scenes are amazing. It is beautiful. I love Clayton Crane art. And then uh, you've got Ariel Olivetti doing the cable books, which he was the main artist for that. And I love Ariel Olivetti until I hate him (laughs) because he can be very good. And then you see, oh, no, you did a copy and paste on top of this weird background that doesn't fit. And this all looks just off enough that it's taking me out of it. But as a whole, I like this. I like both the runs going into it. I think the crossover... You know, it works, but there's not there's not a lot to it, especially when you inevitably compare it to Messiah Complex and Second Coming, where the stakes are so high. Yeah. This just feels like another arc of X-Force and another arc of Cable. Right. And, and that's fine, you know, for, for what it is. I, I think it's interesting. Um, you know, I do like the uh, the Strife stuff. I, I like the little um, dash of Apocalypse that we get late in the in the series. I think that's interesting. Deadpool's a good add to this. I'll give him. I'll give him that. Deadpool works here. Yeah, no, Deadpool works great here, um, and, and especially the the Deadpool you get here. You know, mm-hmm. um, so because he's he is a little different. He's mm-hmm. Deadpool who's had to deal with being alone in a terrible wasteland for years and years. Well, and and locked in a room for for large chunks of time, uh, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's good. Um, you know, I yeah, don't I, anticipate I revisiting them this that much. Um, I'd, I'd much rather reread complex than this, but it's I've read uh, second coming in complex like three or four times. I've read mm-hmm. Messiah or one and a half times. Well, there you go. There you go. Yeah. So, um, so in terms of ranking, where would you put this? So the only other X-Force title we have on here is Dark Angel Saga, and this is below that. Oh, yeah. This is nowhere near that. I mean, uh, I think it goes below like Wounded Wolf where i'm looking i think it's better than mojo mayhem okay for me i i think and i i will facilitate you know listening to your opinion on this because this is a teamwork thing i'm okay with that i think that's fine i mean i don't know that this is as i i I might hesitate for putting it above giant size i don't know where where are you thinking number wise i I actually think that's that's very fair okay because messiah war is good it's worth reading Mm -hmm. It's not uh, the most amazing. No. I think I think it works better in the larger context of that massive story that was being told from like 2007 to 2011 sure. of the Messiah work or the Messiah story, mm-hmm. and that that works well. Outside of it, it doesn't work as well. So our new number twelve, Messiah War. Nice. We've got one more story. We sure do. Today. We do. This is a kind of classic. Mm-hmm. This is. X Factor 87 titled Examinations written by Peter David with art by Joe Casada. Okay. So, Adam, <laughs> let's 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 give the pitch for this. This is right after Executioner song. Mm-hmm. And the government sponsored X Factor team has to go through uh trauma therapy. They have to just talk to a therapist, make sure that they are mentally sound and yes. able to continue on their missions. Mm-hmm. And you get little, you know, two to four page scenes of every character talking to the mysterious psychiatrist. Yes. About everything. 
And then at the end, you get Val Cooper, who's their handler, saying, oh, yeah, I know everything about this team and getting it very on the nose wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of the running joke of the series, right? Is that you know, right. Val, Val thinks she's got this all all pinned down and has no idea what she's doing. Yeah, she's completely out of it. And then at the end, you find out that the psychiatrist is Leonard Sampson, Doc Sampson from Hulk. Yeah. Which is, that's like a weird, neat thing. But to me, it says, oh, okay, I don't know why he had to be a secret this whole time. <laughs> I don't know why that was the last the last panel reveal. My suspicion with that is that, you know, Peter David is, you know, his other most famous run is obviously his incredible Hulk run. So right. I feel which like I've it, not read. Oh, it's great. There's some really great stuff there. Um, if you get a chance uh, to dig into that, it's cool. But, you know, I think that's probably the joke, right? Right. I, I mean, there's no X continuity to worry about. It's just sort of like, oh, well, of course, it's it's the character from the other Peter David book. Um, yeah. But this is uh, a really, uh, there's a reason that a lot of people go back to this as a classic. It's very smart. Um, the the art is fantastic. And each little vignette works really well um, as sort of the, the background digging into the characters and where they're at that then follows them into where we go with them. And props to Casada for like right off the bat doing a Ren and Stimpy parody on the first page with rain and feral it's yeah. so funny like here's the thing everyone nowadays they think of Kasada as right right he's in charge of marvel mm-hmm. he's also a really like there's a reason he got to be in charge of marvel he's very good at art he was very good at storytelling mm-hmm. and he was able to save marvel in the early 2000s late 90s early 2000s and bring them to a level of prominence sure yeah, and people so. can look at the, those decisions and say, "Okay, well, I don't know if I like all of that stuff, but it it worked." It yeah, it kept it kept the lights on. Uh, absolutely, um, and this story is uh, the just the visual storytelling here is incredibly smart. Everything is from Samson's POV uh, for the most part, unless you're digging mm-hmm. into that character's inner psyche. Um, yeah, which I is mean, where that's we, the focus. Yeah, the where focus we get the rain and Stimpy, but the. I mean, the individual pages are absolutely gorgeous. Um, the panel layouts are perfect. The use of negative space is fantastic from page to page. Even the use of, of, um, of sound effects, you know, and the way that they're distributed across the page. Um, right. It's a very, very good issue. It, it is. Now, there's a couple of things in this issue that, you know, stuck out to me. Mm-hmm. The first one really being that this is a very 90s idea. Like you see it, you see it kind of come to the most prominence in stuff like The Sopranos. Sure. Where, uh, you know, it's you have the characters talking to a psychiatrist and kind of laying out their feelings. And that can be good and informative. And in some cases in this book, it is like the Quicksilver part, especially the Quicksilver, I think, is the standout couple of pages on this. Mm-hmm. Where he just says, you know why I'm a jerk to everyone? Because in my life, everyone is just going so slow. And it (laughs) feels like I'm being held back by everyone. And I get that they don't mean to. I get that this is just the way I interpret the world. But it's miserable to live like that. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm just bored of everything. And that's that's the, like, that's how I was like, okay, I kind of like Quicksilver at this point. Sure. I get that. But it, the flip side of it is you're literally just telling your audience how the character feels. You're you're just throwing that out there, and it 
when done poorly, and I don't think all of these characters, all these scenes work that well, it feels like you're just saying, this is how this character feels, and we're not going to do any subtlety or plot to bring that up. We're just going to tell you right out there. Right. So I, I think there's there's a downside to this. I don't think every scene works. I think the uh, Quicksilver stuff works really well. Like the Lorna, the Polaris stuff, I that kind of is a... That's where that I, one. That's the weakness that for work. me. That's the weak link um, because there's a lot. I think the rain stuff works. Um, you know, you're starting to dig into the uh, extinction agenda repercussions there uh, with Havoc. The Havoc stuff works. You're digging a little bit into uh, his relationship with Scott. I, I think Havoc's a bit on the nose, but that's me. Sure, but it's short. It's brief, and, yeah. the, and the art there is absolutely gorgeous um, in those pages. Um, strong guy works. Strong, strong guy, guy works definitely really works. Well. Um, we've and there was another. I think it's one of the Shattershot annuals. You get another Guido backstory type thing like no, this. No, it is. is it, it, it was an annual, but it was uh, the 1993 annuals because it was the one where they were introducing a brand new character in every annual. Uh-huh. Was it 93 or 92? Whatever year Adam X the Extreme came out in, it was that one. Oh, okay. I'm thinking it's like a Calvin and Hobbes parody almost, right? If if we're maybe we're not thinking of the same thing. It's just we a very might, short. I'm think yeah, we may not be. Oh okay, it's similar the, the to this. The one I'm though. talking about follows up on the flashback. Oh, okay, the kid he pushes out of the way turns into this like demon sorcerer guy. Yeah, I think I think we might be talking about the same one. We can look it up after. Um, yeah, but I I like the the way in which they sort of dig into that backstory a little bit. But you're just to go back to what you were saying before. I do think the weak link is is the Lorna. There's so much stuff to dig into, and he starts to do that with uh, the malice stuff, where you can see why that would be a big issue. But it it then concentrates more on the weird body change stuff that Claremont did with her, which. I don't know. It just seems to ring a little bit weird, um, especially well, coming from a male Lorna, writer. And Lorna gets the most pages. Like, cause she right. gets, she gets like three or four pages at the start and then two pages near the end. Right. And that, that's a lot of, that's a lot of screen time given to a part that doesn't work as well. Mm-hmm. But I mean, this is a, this is an interesting issue. It's been well, you know, people have called it kind of a classic. It's a very Peter David issue. There's puns galore for half of this. So it's, you know, it's something he likes. Sure. And I, I think it works. I think it's definitely worth reading, even just to get a snapshot on these characters. Like, suffer through the couple of not great pages of Lorna. You get some really good moments, especially, like, Strong Guy and Quicksilver. Those are those define that those characters for me. Mm-hmm. I think from start to finish, it's, it's a pretty solid issue. I like this run. It, the, the Unfortunately, once... Casada takes off this suffers a great deal with um, the rotating artists that come on after it. But, you know, I love the Larry Stroman issues. I'm big fan of his. I, you know, I'd love to see more work from him. And I, I think Casada is just doing an amazing job here. I, a, a quick though, asterisk to that is um, the credits on the last page um, in which each one of the creative team is given a different medical practice um, as Samson walks down the hall. Oh, I and, didn't read that. Okay. Oh. okay. So um, Peter Davis, general practice, Joe Casada, gynecologist, Joe, come on. Um, <laughs> this is why we can't have nice things. Right. 
Like that didn't age well. Wizard Wizard ate that up, didn't they? Uh, that that does seem a little, you know, a little broy. Though I do I do appreciate that both Bob the editors uh, Bob Harris and DeFalco are urology and proctology. Um, that one yeah. that one seems to have aged well. <laughs> you know. Um, oh, but, uh, oh DeFalco, okay, Joe. You know. Yeah. I, I missed that. I didn't read the credits. I figured I knew who did all this stuff, but oh, it's an God. interesting, it's an interesting touch. Anyway, so we've got a we've got a couple of '90s and '90s adjacent things on the list already. Mm-hmm. At number uh, what is it? At seven is Mutant Genesis X Men One Two Three, and at number eighteen is Fatal Attractions. Right. I think this goes between those. Oh sure. I'm looking in the area from maybe like Messiah War. Mojo Mayhem, Ultimate X Men, Tomorrow People. Um, okay, are, are, I, I think that's reasonable. Do, I I was gonna say I think it definitely goes below X Men ninety two one through four. The world is a vampire. Hmm. But yeah, that's tough. I mean, this is one of those issues where you know it's definitely indicative of its creative team and the time that it came out. But again, I don't know that it's better than like the first couple of pages of giant size X-Men either. The, the first chunk of giant size is really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I think it's somewhere in that area. Where, where would you like to plot it? See, I'm lo- I'm looking at giant size. I think there's parts of examinations that are better mm-hmm. than giant size. I think there are parts of giant size that are better than examinations. Mm-hmm. I think Giant Size just being a giant sized book has more space to do good and bad. I, I think Examinations is tighter and it has like one section that I don't love. The rest of them are this is good to this is great. Yeah. Uh, so mm, I'm okay with putting it above it, you know. I, I, I think I can go there. I don't think that's a I don't think that's anything. I mean this is this is like a pretty good issue of comics. Absolutely. Yeah. This, this is a good one. Here's what I do. I would hand this to someone who wants to know about X Factor as a concept or wants to know what Peter David as a writer is like. That's right. Yeah. And I think those are those are two big things in X-Men. Mm-hmm. So uh, that puts it at number 11 on our list. Awesome. A good show. We've got 27 things on this list. Yeah. Man, we've done, we've done some work. So... Great. Yeah. So let's uh let's go with the wrap up. Let's let's wrap this bad boy up. Uh Xavier Files is me and that's my website and you can find all my stuff there including, you know, cool uh discussions about different X-Men characters. That's also my Twitter handle and that's also the rest of the part of patreon.com, patreon.com/xavierfiles where you can go to support the show and get some things pushed up on our list. Like uh, Ultimate X-Men was in this episode. Thank you again, Zach, for uh, doing that. Uh, if you can't support, don't want to support monetarily or anything like that, we get it. I'm, I'm glad you're listening. That's really cool. It's nice that people want to hear my voice and Adam's voice and all of our collective opinions. Uh, but if that's if that's something that you like and you just can't can't afford anything right now or any of that stuff, go on to iTunes, go on to Stitcher, go on to Google Play, rate and review the podcast. It really helps us get found more helps more people listen to this show and that's really what we want we want to share this exciting experience with everyone 
<laughs> well done. Yeah. Tell your friends. Um, if you're enjoying the show and you have a friend who, uh, likes X-Men too, um, or wants to learn a little bit more about some, some of the random things that we're talking about, um, you know, tell them to tune in. We, we always uh, appreciate new listeners. But Adam, if they wanted your specific brand, just, just the distilled Adam Rackness of it all, <laughs> where uh, would they go? You guys can always follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy and uh, new pages of Bish and Jubes and anything else I might be drawing, um, sort of toying with whether I'm going to jump uh, headlong into the Inktober uh, pool like I did last uh, last October. We'll see how that goes. Um, you go over to adamreck.tumblr.com. Awesome, that's some good stuff. We had some, we had some, we had some fun. We had some laughs. We learned a little bit today. This has been this has been a good battle, of the Adam. Always. Always a good time. So this is episode nine, Battle of the Atom. We'll see you next week, guys, and I hope you survived the experience. Get it!